Let me just pray. Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, we could not ask for a better prayer than this song to say, Holy Spirit, your presence is welcome here this morning. And so we invite you into this time. We consecrate this space for you and for your glory and for your kingdom. And this, this morning is not at all in any way about me or uh, my story, but this is just about you. And I pray that you get all the glory from the work that you've done in my life and what I'm going to share this morning. And I'm so grateful to be able to share and just um, to share your love for me and my family and what you've done in our lives and how you've redeemed so many things. And we're just so grateful for that. And so I pray that, as, uh, as Will prayed, that this would fall on good soil and that, um, that whatever is said here today would take root and grow in the hearts and minds of those that are here and that they would, that they would have new growth um, in their life from, from your work in their lives and, and hearing this story. And so I just pray your blessing over this place. It's all yours, your kingdom, and your glory. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, well, um, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Zach Thomas, and uh, I have a lot of friends that showed up here today. I'm really grateful for that. Some of them drove over an hour to get here, and just uh, just really thankful for you guys coming. I know that, uh, that you're here to just uh, pray for me and support me, and, and uh, as I share this story, you're going to know a lot of this because uh, you've lived it with me, and there's just been some pretty intense uh, things that have happened uh, over the course of my life. And so, um, go ahead. Uh, this, this first slide, most of you have seen the, my crew running around here. Um, this is my family. I have seven kids. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, Lucy, is actually in Brazil right now. She's living there, uh, doing an internship. And, uh, and serving the Lord through LifeShape Ministries, LifeShape Brazil. And she's going to be there. She's coming home for Christmas, but she's going to be there through April of next year, late March, early April. And, uh, and so just, uh, just wanted to introduce you to my family real quick. But uh, the way I will define my story is with this verse. And John just totally teed me up last week with this. In fact, the whole time he was talking, for those of you who are here, um, I kept thinking of this verse, Proverbs 16, 9. And I'd actually started preparing the message prior to, and I brought my laptop for those of you who saw sitting next door, and I, I'd already had this slide prepared. And I said, John, like, you, you had no idea, but you just totally teed up next week with, with this verse. And he's like, yeah, you know, I was thinking of that verse as well. Um, but Proverbs 16, 9 really defines my life. And a mentor of mine shared this verse with me many years ago, and I didn't know how much it would define my life until I, looking back and, and having that vision of looking back and seeing that in my heart, I planned a certain way of doing things, but God really orchestrated my steps in so many different ways. And so my prayer, again, is that from you this morning, that you will hear Jesus's work in my life and through my story and that that will somehow resonate with you and in your journey and what you're going through and in your life. But before I do that, I need to, I need to set a little context. So I actually grew up in Cedar, actually was born here in Rome and then we moved to Cedar Town when I was seven years old 
And I, um, we moved to the family farm that my grandfather established in 1957. And I remember, you guys, um, how many of you know what an encyclopedia is? <laughs> All right, it's, it's a small crowd. Um, kids that are, that these are these books that were on the shelf that um, before Google and, and before um, the internet, and, and in order to find something out, you either had to go to the library or you had to look in an encyclopedia. And my grandparents had uh, encyclopedias. And so I remember one day we were over at their house and I had, was talking to my, my folks about I wanted to be in the military. And my, my dad said, you know, well, you should consider going to West Point. And I said, well, what's that? And I went over to the shelf and pulled the W off the shelf and looked it up and read about it and said, that's where I want to go to school. So I decided when I was seven years old that I wanted to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. And, uh, and I so I graduated from high school in 1995 in Cedartown and then graduated from West Point in 1999. And, and honestly, like I was really, um, and I won't get into this part of the story right now, but like I was really just wanting to prove to the world that I was a man and that I had what it took. And um, so I chose to do the hardest thing possible. I chose infantry branch and I chose, I wanted to go airborne and ranger and, and all that stuff. And so I did. Um, I started ranger school on Valentine's Day. Christy dropped me off uh, at ranger school uh, on Valentine's Day and 62 days later um, graduated. And, uh, and I'd lost about 40 pounds and didn't look like the same person. But, uh, but God really did a work in my life through that because I knew that in my own strength, there was just no way that I was going to make it through something like that. And as you can see on the sign, it's not for the weak or, or faint hearted. Um, but my story really starts taking a turn in, in uh, 2001. Of course, many of you remember this um, for the young folks. It's just a, a distant mem uh, a, a conversation that your parents have told you about. But uh, September 11, 2001, uh, I was at the 101st Airborne Division, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and I was a recon platoon leader, had just gotten promoted to captain and was moving over to a, um, a company executive officer billet. And in that role, um, I thought, you know, this happened. I'm sitting at my, my breakfast table, literally eating a bowl of cereal, and I saw the first, uh, well, the, the news came on and the smoke and the tower and everything. And then I was literally watching as the second tower hit, was hit by a plane. And I knew in that moment that my life was really about to change. And um, my wife was at school um, and uh, she was at Austin Peay State University. She was off post and it took her like all day that day to get home, four, four hours to get to get back on post. But I told her, I was like, look, I got to go in. I don't know what's going to happen next. And so we at the time were on DRF-1, which is Division Ready Force 1. And it meant that like if something happened, we were going to be the first ones to go. And we had palletized everything. But the way the calendar fell, it was like on September the 15th was the day that we were going to roll off of DRF-1 and, and not be on that cycle and go into our our gold cycle and so um it was it was just one of those things we didn't know like okay are we going or is the next brigade that's rolling that's ramping up for drf1 are they gonna go and long story but end up that uh, the rockasans uh ended up going and we were kind of pulled off of that cycle 
and step back. And so, again, I had been promoted to captain. I had orders for the captain's career course, which means I was supposed to permanent change of station to Fort Benning, Georgia. And so I was like, I wanted to stay because, you know, these are my soldiers and the folks that I had trained with and been with. And so I went to my battalion commander and I said, hey, sir, can I, can I stay here? And he was like, no, um, you know, that, that's not how it works. You promoted a captain, you got to go. And, um, and he said, but you'll get your chance. Like, you'll get your chance because this is, this is going to go on for a while. And, um, and so we, we PCS, we went down to Fort Benning, Georgia, and, uh, and got down there. And I was in the captain's course there at Fort Benning, Georgia. And the only way I can explain, there's 350 captains in this course. And all of us were in the same boat. Like, all of us had gotten put in this, this TRADOC, Training and Doctrine Command, uh, for, for class, for school. And they came in the room and they needed some folks to help train the Afghan national troops. And they came in the room and they said, we need volunteers to go to Afghanistan. Of course, all 350 hands went up. And the best way I can explain it, it's, it's not like, it's like if you play a sport your whole life, say for example, football, I don't, I don't watch sports, but um, you play football your whole life and your team goes to the Super Bowl and you don't get to go with them. It's not that you want to like go kill people but it's it's just like this is what you're trained to do this is what you were meant to do and so there I was at Fort Benning I volunteered to go um, and long story but I ended up getting assigned without my choice to the ranger school to be an instructor over at the ranger school so I kind of got forced over there instead of getting to go to trade my orders got canceled I actually got selected to go but then my orders got canceled to go to Afghanistan and I got sent over to the ranger school. And I, I, was, uh, I, got, I was the S-1 billet um, personnel officer and then I went down to the reconnaissance surveillance leader course as the operations officer. And while there, I just began to question like, you know, God, what are you doing with my life? And in that verse, Proverbs 69, in his heart man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. And so, Christy could tell you, like, she didn't know what to do with an airborne ranger crying on the sofa because, you know, I'm, I'm like in a state of depression. I didn't know what was next in my life. I didn't understand why I wasn't able to go and, and serve my country in combat. And um, so here I am stuck at the ranger school, and I was, I was really frustrated. And I just, that was really the point in my life where I began to ask, why, God, why? My mom. <laughs> they were praying that I didn't get to go, yes. Um, and so, you know, but again, like, it, it was one of, those, one of those moments where that, that turn in my, in my journey where everything in my life had gone so well and everything that I for, touched for the most part went well and, and I felt like God was blessing all of it and then all of a sudden, No. I hit, a, I hit a dead end. And, um, and so I was really confused, and I began to, to, to ask the question, like, why? And so I had some mentors that I reached out to, and I began praying through a lot of different things. And they said, well, maybe, maybe you're being called to ministry. And I was like, okay, maybe. And, um, and so I began to pray about that. And, uh, and so I started just to kind of test the waters. I started a class in seminary. I, I, I took a class with Luther Rice seminary and it was a um, extension campus there in Columbus Georgia 
And the, and the teacher happened to be an army chaplain. And so here I am, I'm like, and it, he became kind of a mentor to me. And he said, well, maybe, you know, maybe you should uh, pursue this ministry thing, but, you know, the, the chaplaincy. And one of the things that I um, didn't mention earlier was in the process of being at the ranger school, I actually got diagnosed with narcolepsy. So if I fall asleep while I'm talking, somebody just come up here and, and wake me up. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen today. But um, I've had plenty of coffee this morning. But so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stay in a combat arms branch. And so I ended up getting a, a, a waiver from the Surgeon General of the Army that said I could go back in the Army as a chaplain. And so um, I, I decided, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And I kind of made this deal with God. I said, all right, God, if, if you don't want me to go overseas and fight as an infantry officer, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna go to to uh, go to seminary, become chaplain, come back into Ranger Regiment as a chaplain, and that's, that's what I planned on doing. And I said, if, so if you, don't, if you don't want me to do this, then this is what I'm going to do. Well, you know, sometimes deals with God work out, sometimes they don't. He had a different plan. Again, going back to the verse, Proverbs 16:9. in his heart man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, all along, God had a different plan. Um, so I'm in the chaplain candidate program. Um, you may or may not know this, but if you are a... Um, a, a doctor and you're going to medical school for the army, the army will actually pay for you to go to medical school. They'll pay for your degree and they'll pay you while you're in medical school. If you're a lawyer or you're going to law school and you're going to um, come back in the army as a lawyer, they'll pay for you to go to law school and they will actually pay you while you're in law school. But if you are going to be the chaplain and this whole maybe separation of church and state thing is why, but they will not pay you while you're in chaplain school. And so I had to figure something out. I had to figure out, like, what am I going to do to support my family and provide for my family? And so I'd always, I loved coffee, and uh, I had had this idea that one day I wanted to start a coffee company. And so I, um, I reached out to a friend that roasted coffee, and we... Um, so I, one day, this idea came to mind. I was literally getting ready to, to jump out of an airplane, and I was, uh, I'd, I'd been up all day. We were planning the operation, and for the, any airborne guys in here? No? Um, so you get suited up in, your, in, in everything, and you get jump mastered, which is inspected, very detailed inspection to, to make sure that everything's good, nothing's frayed, or nothing's falling apart, and... Once you get jump mastered, you can't touch anything. Like you can't touch it or, you know, you got to get re-jump mastered. Well, so here I am all day. We've been planning this operation and we go in at night because we have a tactical advantage with night vision and everything. And so um, I drank a lot of coffee because I didn't know it at the time, but I had narcolepsy and I couldn't understand why I was falling asleep all the time. And so I drank a lot of coffee. Well, what happens when you drink a lot of coffee? You got, you got to pee a lot, right? And so I, I was sitting there in the aircraft hangar thinking, well, what if I could get more caffeine in one cup of coffee? I wouldn't have to pee as much. So that was really the inception of an idea to create a coffee company called Ranger Coffee Company. So we created a hyper-caffeinated coffee that was uh, twice the caffeine of, of your normal coffee, 
And, uh, and that's really how I paid and, and supported my family through seminary. And, um, and everything was going great until 2008. Um, and in 2008, the economic crash happened and people stopped buying expensive coffee. I'd started working, so I, we had relocated back home to North Georgia, Rockmart area, and um, I was working for a ministry called Life Impact, which is, which is actually, I'm still, some guys in here are associated with that, and, um, and we do men's retreats. But at the time, um, I was the operations officer for Life Impact, going to seminary in the chaplain candidate program, was planning on going back in the Army as a chaplain. And one of my first tasks um, in that role was to show up at the Chick-fil-A headquarters. And so show up at the Chick-fil-A headquarters. I didn't know what I was going to be doing that day. I get there. I was told, you're going to be clicking the slides. So I'm the slide clicker for the day. And I remember at the end of the day, we were getting in the elevator, and we're going to go up to Truett's office, and, and, and he was actually there that day. And this lady steps on the elevator, and she was smiling. She was happy. And I, I look at her, and I said, is everybody here always this happy? And she said, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like working at Disney World. And so everybody in the elevator laughs. And I, and I look at my brand new boss of one day, well, one week, it'd been about a week on the job. And I said, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to work with Chick-fil-A. And so little did I know, I mean, I was just kind of joking, but fast forward to 2008, economic crash, people stopped buying expensive coffee. I was like, what am I going to do? And I, and I literally laid my head on the desk and I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I got I to gotta provide for my family. And I remembered saying that about Chick-fil-A. And so I pulled it. I was like, I'd read Truett's book and I pulled up the application. I started filling it out. And fast forward, God just really did some pretty amazing things through, um, through that process. I applied in December of 2007 and I got selected in April of 2008. It was like four months later. It's an incredible process. When I applied, the restaurant that I ended up getting uh, had an operator, but then he made some very poor decisions and got terminated. It opened up a franchise that was within driving distance of my home. And then I ended up getting that store. And so just by the grace of God, all of that worked out. And so um, everything was going great. Life was good. I'm a Chick-fil-A operator. I'm making decent money. Um, it happened to be the lowest volume freestanding restaurant in the state of Georgia. So it wasn't <laughs> actually, nobody ended up asking for it, which is why I got it, but I didn't know any better. And so um, I ended up there and it was, it was a challenge, but it was good. I had a job. Things were stable. I was still a chaplain candidate. About a year in, I ended up resigning my chaplain candidacy because I thought, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to continue to do because I saw the opportunity to actually live my life in such a way and minister to people and to be in this world but not of this world. And I realized that I didn't have to be inside the four walls of the church to actually do ministry. And so, um, so there I was. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to do this. Life was good. Everything was great until I'm walking across the street from Starbucks and this car hit me. My head did that. And so a customer that was a former uh, Vietnam 
uh, aviator, uh, Huey pilot, was walking out from our restaurant, and he told me later he saw the whole thing. And he said, Zach, you were walking across the street, and the front end of the car hit you. Now, I was on the phone, so I didn't see it. I, I had, I, my peripheral was blocked. And uh, don't use your phone when you're walking across the street. It's a good <laughs> disclaimer there. Um, but I was, I was walking across the street, and he said, the car hit you in the, like the hip, and he said it threw you up in the air about 10 to 15 feet, and you came down and landed headfirst on the windshield. And then you projected about 50 feet forward because the car was going about 35 mile an hour. And then you landed on a curb. So I had three impacts. The car hit me, my head hit the windshield, and then I was projected 50 feet forward. Now, I don't remember anything about that. I don't remember anything for a couple weeks, actually. Um, Christy could tell you that I kept asking the same questions over and over and over again. At the time, she was pregnant with Harris. And every time we get a new nurse, the nurse would come in, be like, oh, how far along are you? And I would be like, whoa, you're pregnant? Is it mine? And Because <laughs> so, I didn't remember anything. Um, and so, you know, I, I, but as a result of that, so I, I ended up coming home. I had to spend a lot of time sitting on the, on the sofa thinking about life and thinking about what really mattered. And this was really, again, this was October 12, 2011. And it was really the moment when my... Um, my, my thoughts and the way that I was thinking about life and what really mattered began to change. And so this, the verse that I really want to share with you this morning is, is right here. Um, this is captured in, in several of the Gospels. But this morning, we'll just, we'll just read this out of Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. It says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and actually in Luke, um, it says daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, my sake, um, and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? And so, a couple years ago, um, I started jujitsu, and one of the reasons why I love jujitsu is because it is a metaphor for my journey with God. We read about in the scripture, uh, Jacob literally wrestled with God. And so I say, I do jujitsu with Jesus. Um, and it has been an incredible grappling. And I get, I get submitted on a daily basis. Um, and so... I want to I share with you um, one of the letters that I wrote to my professor. And so in jiu-jitsu, we call our, our, our trainers, our coaches, our professors. And so Jesus is my professor. And I want to read a letter that I wrote to my professor. Um, and as I read this letter, I want you to think about, go ahead and go to the next slide. What do these two things have in common? And as I've talked about my life, prior to this and all the things that went great. All right, so here we go. Dear Professor, somewhere in my childhood, the imposter, the false self, the alter ego was born as a defense against shame. This internal identity thief whispered, Zach, don't be your real self because nobody likes who you are. Follow the trends, 
pursue worldly success, perform and achieve. Construct a new self that everybody will admire and that nobody will truly know. So I became a good boy, polite, well-mannered, the teacher's pet, addicted to praise. I learned that good performance brought the praise and recognition that I so desperately wanted and needed. Intentional or not, the adults in my life sent the message that you are loved if you perform and achieve. I didn't necessarily feel unloved if I failed, but I was resolved not to find out. I studied hard. I became salutatorian in my high school class, Eagle Scout of the Nation in 95, top 10% of my class at West Point, an Airborne Ranger infantry officer and a Chick-fil-A operator, often unconsciously seeking the applause of many to answer my two core questions that I should have taken to you. Do I have what it takes? And am I loved? In recent years, you helped me see that my patterns of success led to an addictive behavior. The problem with my addiction is that most people encourage it. If I told a close friend that I was struggling with crack or cocaine, he would undoubtedly admonish my behavior and implore me to stop. However, I have very few people in my life that can see the destructive nature of my performance and achievement addiction. As I write this very moment, I even have to ask myself, why am I writing? Only you know the full motive. But let's not waste my pain. I want others to learn from my grappling with you. So how now shall I live in a performance-based world? Thomas Merton said to a fellow monk, If I make anything out of the fact that I am Thomas Merton, I'm dead. And if you make anything out of the fact that you are in charge of the pig barn, you're dead. Quit keeping score altogether and surrender ourselves with all of our sinfulness to God, who sees neither the score nor the scorekeeper, but only his child redeemed by Christ. And the question that I ask is, how do I raise my children in such a way that they understand the world in which we live without becoming a slave to it? Can one be successful in this world and be true to who they are? Um, It's nothing inherently wrong with rewards and recognition, but how do we prevent the smiley face sticker in pre-K from becoming the Ferrari at 35? These are the questions that I wrestle with as I raise my seven children. Your forever student, Zach. So there I was, October 19th, 2018. A friend of mine, Morgan Snyder, I was in a group with him and we were talking about this idea of this false self that we construct for the world to see. And he proposed the question that if your false self were to die, what would his epitaph be? What would be written on his tombstone? And I was literally getting ready to speak at this High Achievers Global Summit. My, my friend kind of made fun of it being Oliver and said, called it the Intergalactic Global Summit for High Achievers. And so, but, you know, I, I'm getting ready to get up on stage and speak, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally sitting on the toilet, and I'm contemplating this question of, okay, I'm going to get up here in front of these people, and am I going to be myself or am I going to be somebody else? 
And what would the, the epitaph of my false self be? And this came to me, and I, I, I wrote it, or I typed it up in my phone. It says, he kept getting back into the ring, fighting the man that he knew he could become until it killed him. And so that, that right there was a, was a big turning point for me. At the time, I was actually enrolled in uh, an MBA program at Point University. I actually helped create this program with Point University. It started in my restaurant, um, and it provides free college for, for any team member in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. What started in Chick-fil-A Rock Mart is now in over 500 restaurants across the country, and over 2,000 Chick-fil-A team members are enrolled in this program. But as a result, the operator can also go to school for free. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to get my MBA. I could not think of a single reason why I wanted an MBA other than the fact that I wanted comma, Zach Thomas, comma, MBA. Just because it was a credential. Just because it was something else that I could achieve. And so it was actually in uh, December of 2018. You see uh, Annabelle right there. This picture was actually a little bit after that. Um, but that was right across the street at Harvest Moon. Uh, we were on a date, and it was just a couple days before that. Um, she came up to me. I was sitting at this laptop, and she said, Dad, you're no fun anymore. All you care about is schoolwork and, and doing your stuff. And she was like 11 at the time. And I remember looking at her, and I could have reacted like, what are you talking about? But you see, I couldn't do anything halfway. I'm a performance and achievement addict. And so I can't do anything halfway. And I realized in that moment, I was sacrificing my family for three letters after my name. And so I closed the laptop and I said, no more. I'm not doing this. And that was the moment. You guys watch Scooby-Doo? That was, the, I love this meme. But it's, it was the moment when I, real, when I really realized who was ruining my life. It was me. It was me. And so what I discovered is that my, my gifting, I'm gifted to perform and achieve, but my gifting was also my greatest weakness. And so... Fast forward, June of 2019, I find myself in the hospital. And I feel I'm having these heart attack type symptoms. And I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was dying. And, but I, I began to just like unravel things after the whole MBA thing. And I, I quit, I quit that, I quit I was part of nonprofit boards and I quit that. And I just, and I started telling everybody, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I quit. I'm not doing anything. And so never in my life had I had fewer things on my calendar and fewer credentials behind my name. But yet I feel like I'm having a heart attack and I'm in the, I'm in the hospital. And the doctor did a stress test and he said, I don't know what's wrong with you, but it's not your heart. And so he sends me home, and then a week later, I'm like, this is not going away. Like, I am dying. And so a week later, I go back to 
the emergency room and I'm like, I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack. And they, I, I finally pressured the doctors into doing a heart cath. And so they literally went in my left arm. I was awake the whole time and I got to see my heart on a TV screen right in front of me. And the doctor runs the scope up through there and he says, he looks at me, he says, there is nothing wrong with your heart. I don't know what it is. Probably stress of some sort. And I, and I just looked at the doctor and I'm just like, I've never had less on my calendar. Business is going great. My family's good. I don't know what's going on. And so about a week later, I'm in a therapy session with one of my friends and I I said I do know this though I've disappointed a lot of people in 2019 and it was in that moment that I realized it was my people pleaser and and my saying no to people that brought me to a place where I was like the stress and the anxiety from telling people no and resigning from my performance and achievement addiction it was like, it was true withdrawal symptoms. Like an addict that's trying to get off crack or cocaine. Like, that's what this was. And so God gave me this visual for my life. We grow in, in, in seasons. We grow in, in ways that the world teaches us that growth is up and to the right. And that there's no other way. But what I've learned in my life and what God showed me is that, that my growth has been in this seasonal growth. And there's many times where I've gone into winter seasons where it's dark and cold and I'm confused and I don't know what's going on. But actually, here's what's going on. Underneath the surface, that root structure is growing. And God is deepening my character and helping me become more of who He created me to be through those trials and through those winter seasons in my life. But here's what happens. Most people allow their, their kingdom to expand beyond their character. We fill up our calendars. We do um, all these things for... for for glory and for, for people to pat us on the back and praise us. But yet, all that's up top for people to see. And at the same time, what's below our character and our root structure can't, be, can't sustain it. And so then what happens as a result of that, you see stuff like this. The tree looks perfectly healthy. It's got plenty of green leaves but there's no root structure. And just a few more inches and it would just have totally destroyed this house. There's so many times when I could have destroyed my house because I had not allowed God's to cultivate roots and build my character in my life. So I want to read you another story real quick. This is another letter to my professor. This is, this is my most recent death. 
August the 13th, 2022. Dear Professor, must I die a thousand painful deaths? Is this what you meant when you said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me? I'm also reminded of what you told your friend Paul. Those who belong to you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This most recent death has been extremely painful. As you know, my dream and passion and desire for over 17 years, when I first applied to be a Chick-fil-A operator, I was hoping to open a restaurant in Cedartown, my hometown. However, you had a different plan. You made me wait a few years and then gave me a restaurant in Marietta. After moving back home to Polk County, then I served you there for nine years to the day. Then you gave me the closest thing of my original desire of my heart, a restaurant in Rockmart. It's in Polk County. It was a leap of faith because I was giving up a high volume unit for a lower volume restaurant, but it wasn't about the money for me. I trusted you. And you blessed me with a good business and an amazing team of leaders and team members. And I was content for a while. It wasn't long before the allure of multi-unit opportunity in Cedartown became a possibility. I remember praying somewhere along the way, though, if this is not what you want for me, don't let me have it. But you know I didn't really mean that. I wanted it. And you knew I wanted it. And for what reason? I say it wasn't about the money, although the money would be nice and provide me a false sense of security. I think that I wanted it for influence. Influence in my community, influence with my team members. Is that just a nicer word for power? That may be another death yet to come. But here's where I am today. I know this is your will for my life. I know that even if it was due to the, someone's lack of courage, to make a decision outside the norm. This is your will for my life. But it feels like death. It feels like someone has died. Someone that was close to me and that I really cared about has died. And it feels like that because once again, I have died. I came to the conclusion yesterday that this is not the death of a dream that I mourn. But in fact, it is once again the death of my performance and achievement persona. As I wrote so eloquently in October 19, 2018, at the High Achievers Global Summit, the epitaph for my false self, he kept getting back into the ring, fighting the man he knew he could become until it killed him. So many times I thought he was dead, but he keeps coming back, sometimes much weaker but often in disguise. So yesterday, as I'm driving up my driveway on the way home from work, I ask you, must I die a thousand painful deaths? I heard nothing until I walked in the door. All was quiet in my home, certainly not the norm in a house of seven kids. Apparently, my family was upstairs working on schoolwork, all except Owen, my four-year-old son. Little did I know that he was on the prowl. I placed my bag at the table and I turned to walk towards the den to find out why the house was so quiet when I noticed a warrior standing in my way. 
complete with shield, sword, and Paw Patrol pajamas. His first words to me were, Die! <laughs> An epic battle ensued as he handed me Jack Sparrow's pirate sword and made our way into the living room. And after 10 minutes of intense combat, Owen had won. Jesus, you win. I'm tapping out for today. Your forever student. Dallas Willard once said that the most important thing about a man or woman is not what he or she does, but who he or she becomes. How do, how do we become the kind of person that has nothing to hide, nothing to fear, and nothing to prove? Many of you in this room are at that age. This Mike Mason quote says it best. A 30-year-old man is like a densely populated city. Nothing new can be built in his heart without something else being torn down. So I want to leave you with this this morning. What is the epitaph of your false self? What is it that needs to die? My friend Morgan, this was his. He came through proudly and anxiously for many and much at the expense of who and what mattered most. Let me pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank You. We thank You for Your work. We thank You for Your ministry, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank You for Your love for us. And I pray that those here this morning heard my story, that something resonated in the work that you've done in my life and how you've rescued me from the self-life. It's daily. It's daily. But now I know that your plans for me are good and that the enemy's plans for me are to, to divert and distract and cause me to go more into my faults, self. And my eyes are wide open. And so I pray that you open the eyes and the hearts of those that are here today so that they can see and be, they can expose the self, expose that life in them that needs to be crucified daily. I ask and pray that you go with us throughout this week. Show your love to those around us. Help your love and your light shine through our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen.